Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by Eminence, Bill Werner, Brent Palm, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, new grants to help school districts install stop arm camera systems on buses. A large majority of hospitals are continuing to hide the cost of care from consumers. A former Gopher football player, now an assistant coach at the U of M. But first, another busy week in politics and Eminence Bill Werner joins us with a recap of the high points, beginning with an important speech. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. The State of the Union Address. President Joe Biden saying two years ago the economy was reeling, but now... I stand here tonight after we've created, with the help of many people in this room, 12 million new jobs. More jobs created in two years than any president's created in four years because of you all, because of the American people. Republican Congressman Brad Finstead says the economy is not working for families across the 1st Congressional District in southern Minnesota. He says, quote, President Biden's failure to rein in record high inflation combined with reckless government spending has left southern Minnesota families struggling to make their dollars stretch to keep up with rising prices of groceries, gas, housing, and just about everything else. And the president in his State of the Union address issued another call to finish the job on police reform. As discussions stalled in Congress due to disagreements over a number of key issues, Minnesota GOP Chairman David Hans says there's a reason Republicans took back the U.S. House because Biden ignored and deflected blame for inflation, a border crisis, and for crime. Democratic Senator Tina Smith said, We have to just all continue to try to work to make sure that, um, of course, we're fighting you know, violence, but we are fighting violence in all the ways that it happens, including when it's perpetrated by law enforcement against citizens. In the audience at the State of the Union address, the father of Amir Locke, guest of 5th District Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, February 2nd marked one year since Amir was fatally shot by Minneapolis police officers executing a no-knock warrant, of which Locke was not the subject. Omar says she will introduce a bill in his name aimed at ending what she calls deadly no-knock warrants. We've been sent here to finish the job, in my view. A recurring motif through the president's speech on multiple issues. Hamlin University analyst David Schultz. This is clearly a speech that you could read as, as setting out the themes. And his theme was really defined last night. Let's finish the job. And that's a perfect slogan for him to use going for a second term. But Schultz says Biden did not go far enough in his State of the Union speech to address Americans' concerns about the state of the economy. Did he convince Democrats? Of course. Did he convince Republicans? No. The question becomes, did he convince critical independent voters in those few states that are going to matter? And, and right now, I, I'm not sure he has. So long as the price of a dozen eggs remains really high, I think the public's going to judge him harshly in terms of the economy. In state politics, Governor Tim Walz this week signed a controversial bill requiring 100% of Minnesota's electricity be carbon-free by 2040. And I have to tell you, when I hear people say you're moving too fast, we can't move too fast when it comes to addressing climate change. We can't. Kevin Prannis with the Lyuna Minnesota North Dakota Union says it is a jobs bill. Our members are ready to extend the life of Minnesota's nuclear plants, install thousands of megawatts of wind and solar, deploy emerging technologies ranging from carbon capture to clean hydrogen to renewable natural gas to utility-scale batteries, maybe even made with Minnesota iron one day. Opponents of the carbon-free electricity standard warn of skyrocketing prices and blackouts. Faustin Republican Steve Green says a constituent on the Leech Lake Reservation voiced concern before the Senate passed that bill last week on a brutally cold night. And when the rolling blackouts come, there is no 
other form of heat because they all take electricity. And his, his comment, although I won't read it all because it was kind of colorful, but that people on the reservation are going to die. Democrats rejected lifting the moratorium on new nuclear facilities in Minnesota, saying there's still no central location to put the radioactive waste. But Wilmer Municipal Utilities GM John Heron says new nuclear facilities could be vital after coal and natural gas plants are retired. So when the wind quits blowing or the sun isn't shining, you can rely on nuclear. We need some form of long-term reliability-based load generation in order to meet these mandates. But Democrat Nick Frentz from North Mankato argued in Senate floor debate the 2040 standard is necessary to fight climate change. We can rise to the challenge like this country and this state did, two world wars, Great Depression, and who knows what challenge in the future, and we can meet it. Meanwhile, neighboring North Dakota's Industrial Commission has authorized a million dollars for legal action against Minnesota's carbon-free electricity standard. They're concerned it will keep North Dakota from exporting electricity from its coal-fired plants to Minnesota. Governor Walls says he's confident that new law will withstand any legal challenge. Minnesota's not staking our future on coal and carbon, and I can't speak for our neighbors, but I think it would be more productive to join us and move the rest of the country in this direction. So I'm confident this will stand up. And this week, Democrats, who now control both the Minnesota House and Senate, renewed their long-standing push to allow any Minnesotan, regardless of income, to buy health insurance through state-run Minnesota Care. They point to Tavana Johnson. She says her husband diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And they drained their retirement fund, she says, to pay insurance premiums for chemotherapy, which was $14,000 per visit. My husband passed away just a little over a month ago. The money that he saved and plan to use for us to retire together is gone. DFL sponsors say premiums for what they call a Minnesota Care buy-in would be on a sliding scale based on income. Republicans didn't comment on this latest proposal, but in the past they have warned the approach moves toward government-run health care. And this week, funeral services at St. John's Abbey in Collegeville for the late U.S. Senator Dave Durenberger, a moderate Republican, who died January 31st at the age of 88. Tribute came from both sides of the aisle as the Minnesota Senate remembered Durenberger this week. Anoka Republican Jim Abler says he was a fierce advocate for the rights of people with disabilities that began early in his political career. As the chief of staff to Governor Harold Levander, he traveled to Cambridge State Hospital and he recalled, I saw a whole bunch of young men, most of them naked, some of them hopping around like animals, just warehoused there, and I never forgot it. St. Paul Democrat Sandy Pappas says, Senator Durenberger works on women's rights, then voting rights for people with disabilities in 1985, and was asked to co-author the Americans with Disabilities Act by Senator Edward Kennedy. Champlin Democrat John Hoffman said a man from Duluth once told Durenberger, You're one cool dude. You passed the ADA so I could have civil rights. And Senator Abler said, Thank you, Senator Durenberger, my, my mentor and my friend. And he taught me to work together. There's a lot of room, I think, that we can take from his example as we work together on some of these very thorny issues. Tasha. Thanks, Bill. On Thursday, Vice President Kamala Harris spent a few hours in St. Cloud at bus manufacturer New Flyer, stressing the importance of investing in electric buses and vehicles, not only to help fight climate change, but... And we've also done that to create jobs so people can have shift changes and have decent work hours and have good paying union jobs. During her stop, Vice President Harris got to see firsthand New Flyers' electric bus. 
It is a model of American innovation. No exhaust, no diesel smell. The bus has Wi-Fi and even USB outlets next to every seat. I mean, come on, imagine. You can charge your phone on your way home from work. That's good stuff. The last time a vice president was in St. Cloud was back in 2009 when Joe Biden visited the same place, New Flyer. And then Vice President Biden said, and I'll quote, this company is an example of the future. Well, a lot has changed in the past 14 years, but one thing has not. You are still an example of America's future. The Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that President Biden and Vice President Harris championed contains about $90 billion in funding for the nation's transit districts, at least $5.5 billion of which was dedicated to electric transit buses. Minnesota is expected to receive more than $850 million over five years to improve public transit across the state. Meanwhile, Minnesota Republicans slammed Harris's visit, criticizing the Biden administration's electric vehicle push as a mandate, while at the same time putting a moratorium on copper nickel mining near the Boundary Waters Canoe area, materials used to build electric vehicles. Republican State Representative Spencer Igo. The Biden administration and the Walls administration are failing themselves. They're failing union workers. One of these copper nickel mines that produces the materials needed for these electric vehicles produces millions of hours of union construction jobs. Not to mention the, the hundreds of union jobs that are combined with that and all the spin-off jobs that keep greater Minnesota alive and well. The Republican Party of Minnesota is calling on Governor Walls to tell President Biden to rescind the ban on domestic mining in Minnesota instead of outsourcing the precious metals from outside the United States. It's time for a quick break. More Minnesota Matters right after this. Quitting smoking or vaping can be difficult, and it can be even harder during times like these when stress is often higher. Finding healthy ways to manage that stress without nicotine is important. For Minnesota residents who are ready to quit smoking, vaping, or using smokeless tobacco, Quit Partner is ready to help. Through a family of free programs, Quit Partner offers free support like one-on-one -on -one coaching, emails and texts, educational materials, and Quit medications like patches, gum, and lozenges delivered by mail. In fact, a mix of Quit coaching and Quit medications can help double a person's chances of quitting. No matter what support a person would like to try through Quit Partner, it's always judgment-free. And now that Minnesota has raised the legal sales age for tobacco to 21, residents may be looking for quitting resources now more than ever. To learn more, visit quitpartnermn.com or call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. The State Department of Public Safety is awarding $1.4 million in grants to 19 Minnesota schools and transportation companies to install stop arm camera systems on school buses. The head of Minnesota's Office of Traffic Safety joins MN's Brent Palm to discuss the program. I'd like to welcome State Office of Traffic Safety Director Mike Hansen to the show to talk about school bus stop arm safety. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks, Brent. I'm glad to be with you today and I look forward to our conversation. Well, the Department of Public Safety, I see, is awarding grants to, I believe it was 19 schools and bus companies around the state to help, uh, what you guys say, help students keep safe as they get on and off the school bus. Tell us a little bit more about this program. Really, what kind of brought this about, Brent, is 
you know, over the past several years, we've seen an alarming increase in the number of drivers who are disobeying that extended school bus stop arm. And, you know, think about what that stop arm means. That means our young kids, our most precious cargo, are getting on or getting off of that school bus. And when a driver violates that extended stop arm, the consequences and the results can be horrific and tragic, and they're all completely preventable. But it requires drivers to stop. And, you know, we have laws on the books that, that require that, and we, that, that allows law enforcement to follow up on it. But prior to the cameras, the, the real burden fell to our bus drivers to report these violations. And if you think about everything that a bus driver has to try and keep track of, especially when kids are getting on and off of that bus, um, it, it's difficult in the best of circumstances for them to obtain the right kind of information that allows that law enforcement follow-up. Well, technology has evolved now with these camera systems that it takes that onus off of the bus driver and it allows the camera to capture all of the requisite evidence that needs to be gathered in order to hold the driver accountable for going through that stop arm when they shouldn't. Okay, so there's actually a camera that goes on the stop arm as it comes in and out. Yeah, there's a variety of systems that are available out there, Brent, and some of them will mount on that that stop arm uh, and on the stop uh, or on the side of the bus. It just depends on the different vendor. But most of the the transportation companies and school districts that we're working with are going with a dual camera system. So it will take a, a photo of the vehicle as it approaches and then as it departs from the stop arm. So basically we're getting a picture of the front and the back side of it which also uh, gives us a little bit of redundancy and make sure that that plate number is uh, properly recorded. Wow, I bet uh, folks in law enforcement wish they had this about 30 years ago, right? <laughs> we talk about the, the scale and the scope of the problem. And the State Patrol coordinates a one-day survey every year, usually I think in April, where they ask every school bus driver in the state, tell us how many people went through your stop arms today. And in 2022, that was over 1,000 violations that were reported by the drivers across the state. And when you think about that, if that's happening on a daily basis, the risk being posed to our kids is significant. And it's up to us to do everything that we can to prevent that from happening. And, you know, as much of an enforcement uh, focus the cameras have, we've also structured the grant program to contain a public education and outreach component. So every one of our grantees, it requires that they also have an education component when they deploy the cameras. So it's not not like, you know, all of a sudden the cameras are there and nobody knows about them. But there will be that, that pre-deployment education component that goes with it. So really what we're after is not a whole bunch of violations and a whole bunch of tickets written by law enforcement. What we're after is voluntary compliance, people driving smart and driving well, especially around school buses. I noticed that, yeah, you guys had stats over five years. There was about 4,652 drivers that were cited for stop arm. That's a lot. The good news is, as somebody who is a news reporter, I don't do a ton of stories about really bad injuries and fatalities. I guess that's one positive. I do remember when Edina a couple of years ago, a high school kid was hit getting off the bus. Do we have any idea how many of those violations lead to injuries? Hopefully not too many. Oh, you know, I, I could, I'd have to do a little bit deeper dive into the data, Brent, to, to give you that number. Um, but, you know, to you know, kind of build on your point, thankfully, yes, the number of incidents involving kids getting on and off of the bus um, are relatively few. But I would counter that with one is far too many. I mean, you know, 
for any of us who have kids, just, just think about how traumatic that was. We need to prevent these things and we need to be proactive about it and not have something horrific happen before we deploy the technology and the resources that we have at our disposal. Hey, I've been noticing on some of the uh, legislative calendars over at the state capitol, there have been a couple of either amendments or bills related to requirements that uh, buses be equipped with stop arm extensions. As a matter of fact, I'll be over uh, talking with our friends in the Senate uh, about an extension for the stop arm camera grant program. You know, by the time we go through our initial allocation of it was just under $14.7 million, we'll have just about 60% of the bus fleet in Minnesota equipped with these cameras. And so I think some of the legislators have taken note of the success of this and the popularity of it. Quite honestly, all of the districts we're working with and transportation companies really like this. Um, I think they're they're looking at uh, adding some additional funding so we can go after that remaining 40% of the fleet. And there's a couple of other uh, uh, bus safety provisions uh, that are, are being talked about too. Well, thanks, State Office of Traffic Safety Director Mike Hansen for giving us an education, I guess, on uh, school bus stop arm safety. Uh, we wish you luck over at the legislature and hope that they'll extend the grant program for you folks. Well, Brent, thanks. I appreciate the time and the opportunity to uh, to share some information with you and with your listeners. And again, if all of us can uh, do the right thing, we won't have to worry about our kids as they get on and off those buses. Thanks, Brent. More Minnesota Matters coming up right after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. A new report by PatientRightsAdvocate.org shows a large majority of hospitals are continuing to hide the cost of care from consumers, including hospitals right here in Minnesota. Cynthia Fisher, founder and chairwoman of PRA, says they are finding there are wide price variations in the same hospitals for identical services. Before we kind of dive into to some of the, the highlights, can you tell us a little bit about what the hospital price transparency rule means? Yes, hospital prices are supposed to be publicly transparent for all of us now over two years. And the purpose of the hospital price transparency rule is to lower the cost of healthcare for all Americans. How? Well, when we can see prices, then we can compare prices within the same hospital systems and we can compare prices across hospital systems as well as across insurance carriers and plans. That makes hospitals have to compete as well as insurance companies for our hard-earned healthcare dollars. And when consumers can shop and see prices, well, we have choices to have financial certainty and lower our costs of care and coverage. And, you know, I was kind of looking uh, throughout, you know, the list. I know that I believe 33 Minnesota hospitals were not complying, correct? We uh, looked at over 2,000 hospitals. And of the 2,000 hospitals, they are the largest hospitals in the country and of the 6,000 total hospitals in our country. And what we found is only 25% of these hospitals, these large hospitals, are fully compliant with the law. So that means nearly 75% um, basically are not showing all of their prices in dollars and cents, which is simply required. Instead, they're using formulas or putting words into the data fields uh, that can't be searched for prices, or they're not showing all of the pay payers, uh, such as insurance carriers and 
the plan names. So that means that you can't see in these other non-compliant files, you cannot parse the data and the files are just simply unusable to allow search engines like Google or to allow technology and software developers to create mobile shopping tools for us to shop for the best care at the best prices. No one would have put up with being charged $10 more for a gallon of milk or 10 times more for a gallon of milk in the grocery store or 10 times more. Can you imagine paying 10 times more for a car? Well, that's happening every day in these hospitals and that's why price transparency is so important because once we see all these prices, it'll drive down the cost and people will refuse to be overcharged and pay beyond what is reasonable, losing their homes, going bankrupt, and even having wages garnished by our hospitals. It's time for a quick break. More Minnesota Matters coming up. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. Eminent Sports Director Mike Grimm has a fun visit this week with a former Gopher football player who is now a full-time assistant coach at the U of M. It's my pleasure to welcome the new defensive line coach for the University of Minnesota football team, Winston Delatabadir, former Gopher player. Uh, we've done this before, it just, you know, pregame shows and coaches shows and different things, and um, it's cool now to uh, do this in a different capacity. Welcome back to Minnesota. I'm so ecstatic to be back. Um, and as we were saying when we were walking into the studio, I was like, let's do it again, just like old times. Yeah, just <laughs> so like old times. I'm excited. A five-year player here at Minnesota, four years on the field, um, 50 one games played, 36 starts, bunch of tackles for losses and sacks, and a lot of success. And um, and, and it wasn't that long ago. Nope. <laughs> Does that feel kind of weird? It feels crazy. It's 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 almost surreal. Um, as we were walking back through the the complex and the facility today, and I was I was showing Shelby, my wife, everything that that's kind of up and is new. It's a lot of stuff that looks the exact same. <laughs> so even though it looks fresh and it, and it looks new, I was like, wow, I, I remember, you know, using that machine or doing this or doing that. So um, it's it's exciting to be back at home. It just feels so warm in my heart. Yeah, and certainly within the coaching staff itself, there's been, you know, some turnover. I know even at your time here, you played for several different defensive line coaches and were coached by them, and those connections later served you well in terms of your quick career arch here as a coach. But um, uh, that said, the, there's a general nucleus of coaches that, that have still kind of been around. So uh, it was probably uh, fun to, to get back in it. And now 
you're a peer of theirs as opposed to them being a coach of yours. Exactly. Is that a strange, even with, with P.J. Fleck, has that been a, a strange transition or it's, has it been fine? It hasn't been such a strange transition only because Coach Fleck held me to such a high leadership standard leaving here in 2019. Um, so I remember him gathering guys like me and Carter Coughlin and Antoine Winfield and Thomas Barber, who is actually coaching with me as yes, well now, right. so we can get into that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just holding us to that certain standard that we talk about in our program, we talk about bad teams, no one leads, average teams, uh, coaches lead, and then elite teams, players lead. And before I knew it, I was leading as a coach at the next level, and I realized all the tools he had kind of put in my tool bag, yeah. I was bringing back out again in the coaching world. Um, so it's not it's not a weird transition, uh, but I know he's going to hold me to that same standard, except now even a little bit higher <laughs> now that I'm on the coaching side of things. For sure, and so many now different duties as opposed to, and I say this because I know all the work you guys put in, so I don't mean it to be demeaning, but just a player, um, you're probably finding out now that being just a coach is just as much or more work, right? It's, it's a lot of work. Uh, I found that out my first year GA and at uh, UNC Charlotte um, I remember because Marcus West uh, and he's with the Bills now and I was I was I'm blessed to you know have had him as a mentor all these past few years he brought me in and I remember in training camp being a player you get to take naps yes. and you know you get a break so I was looking around and I asked him I said hey coach West um when 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 do we get a break? When is our nap? And he was like, "Yeah, you're a coach now. It's yeah. no naps, no naps, <laughs> it's no, nap. no naps." So I struggled. My body had to transition. Uh, but but now I'm in the full swing of things uh, with the coaching now. routine. I got it down, man. Being able to learn under him, and and I'm I'm ecstatic. And I called him right after I accepted the job and all that good stuff, and it was official. You know, being able to learn under him has been nothing but an utmost blessing. And that dude is going to be a head coach somewhere really, really yeah. soon. Look, PJ has got a good little coaching tree going now for a guy who's relatively young himself um, you know Marcus would fall into that and then he's got um, you know coordinators now around the Big Ten uh, he's got head coaches at where Buffalo and some other places and now uh, you get to fall under that as a player and a coach and uh, for Minnesota at least you're the first uh, and and here's the thing too uh, and I remember him talking about that with you like oh yeah uh, you know Winston's going to be a coach and maybe be even back here someday and I don't know if we knew it would be you're 24 a few years out and here you are already exactly. back but PJ knew like like he had he he saw how you played he saw how you led uh, he knew you needed to get a couple some something years under your belt, mm -hmm. and when the opportunity came, he he jumped. He jumped. I I I sat down. So so PJ and I had lunch not too long ago, and um, I was like, how how did you know that I was going to be a coach? And he was like, really really elite coaches always know the guys that they coach and kind of what trajectory they're headed on. Um, he said he always had an inkling, and I was like, well, I wanted to go play in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, so that's what I wanted to do. Um, but I shared something with him, and it was something that he never knew. For my senior thesis, uh, in order to get my master's degree, you had to say basically what you wanted to go do after college with your degree. And for fun, I created a culture, and I said I wanted to become a head college football coach. Mm -hmm. And I ended up presenting it to the board, and they loved it. And I was like, well, I'm never going to use this again, so let me just put this away. And I blinked my eyes, and I'm like – Wow. Yeah. So everybody knew except me. Yeah, exactly. We all <laughs> everybody saw knew. Yeah. I love recruiting. And it's and it's I just, you know, you have to make sure that you're building relationships and bonds with these kids. And at the end of the day, the most important thing when recruiting is finding out if guys legitimately fit your culture. But you can't do that through just texting a kid every week and saying, Hey, how you doing? Come to Minnesota. It doesn't work like that. I'm I'm allowing these guys to call me whenever they want and, you know, FaceTime me whenever they see fit. Um and, and the biggest thing is like 
being available to talk to these guys. Uh, a lot of times coaches are like, oh, yeah, I just want to do ball. I don't want to do recruiting. Well, if you've got some guys, like if, if you go and recruit a kid who weighs 110 pounds to play defensive end in the Big Ten, it's not going to work out. You've got to get the right guys to have the right fits. Um, and I've just been, you know, excited to go out and recruit. And, and PJ kind of, you know, hit me on the button, was just like, I'm not going to have to explain you how this works. Go get them. <laughs> Thanks, Grimmer. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station, same time, same place. From all of us here at MNN, thanks for tuning in and have a great day.